Okay, um, so we're going to get rolling, and um, let me open us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for, again, the privilege to gather together, and um, we ask that you would speak to us through one another, and through your word, help us to um, embrace our identity and um, understand our mission as your kingdom on this earth. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, you know, I like to um, just briefly recap what we've talked about. So really fast. Um, we are talking tonight about cooperating without compromising. But where we've been, um, I asked you to make a mental adjustment to recognize um, that the church's um, size and influence in our culture is diminishing, that we are, in the biblical language, a remnant, or in a modern language, kind of a spiritual minority. Um, in our culture, which is what really was the reality for every stage of the biblical story as well. Um, and that's not a bad thing necessarily that um, the church has traditionally done its best work um, in the minority. Uh, we talked the following week about building an insurgent mindset uh, that as the remnant, um, distinguishing God's kingdom from kingdoms of this world is our first most critical step. Um, that our values have to be taught repeatedly and explicitly and in contrast to this world's uh, values, especially not just in the church, but in the home. And that we are, and uh, God's remnant at work for others. Our purpose is to be the kingdom for the world, not to run from the world. And then last week, we talked about converting the church. And I said the remnant's first responsibility is not to the world, um, but to the people who are already connected um, to God in some way. Um, I said that the church um, defaults to religion. And I meant that we default to this idea that if you are good, you're rewarded, and if you're bad, you're punished. And that that is not the Christian message. The Christian message is that we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and so part of the work of the remnant is to constantly point the church back to the gospel, right? Uh, and then uh, the first step in that process is prayer. And we said all revivals um, have begun with prayer all the way back to Acts chapter one. Okay. All right. Um, so tonight we're going to talk about this idea of cooperating without compromising. And last time I gave you a lot of scripture and you were overwhelmed. So this time I'm going to give you just two passages. Um, and I'm going to say, how about um, everybody from Lois over you're going to look up the Hebrews passage, Hebrews 11, and Bob and Kay over the other direction, you're going to look up the Jeremiah passage, all right, Jeremiah 29. Um, so Hebrews and Jeremiah, if you're online, um, you get to choose which one makes you happier, uh, if you prefer Jeremiah or Hebrews. And um, we would, um, I'm going to give you a few minutes to read those. They're both very short. And I'm going to ask you the same question I asked last time. What does this passage tell us about what a remnant does, what we're to do as the remnant, okay? Please, please. I think he has to go out. Probably. Maybe I should take it.
Okay, I'm giving you like 30 more seconds. What does a remnant do? Okay, so um, the first passage is in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29. Just so you're aware, Jeremiah is writing a letter. Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem. He's writing a letter to the exiles that are in Babylon, and he's giving them instructions from the Lord about what they should do while in exile. Okay, so they are remnant because they have literally been taken out of their country and moved to another country, okay? Um, and... Um, so he has some instructions for them. What does Jeremiah say the um, Israelites should do, Jeremiah people? Okay, to be fruitful, multiply, um, to have kids, to increase but not decrease, and to sort of establish a life there. Okay, great. Say that again. Put, it, put down roots. Okay, fantastic. Put down roots. That's great. Great. Anything else? That's a pretty good summary. Um, the, the, the one thing I think that's, that's, that you didn't mention that's just kind of an interesting line is verse 7, right? Jeremiah says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. It's kind of an interesting line, right? So the, the city is Babylon. And he's saying, you know, look for good for Babylon. Okay. Hold that thought. We're going to come back to it. Um, all right. Hebrews people, people who read Hebrews. Um, what is, we, this should be a passage I think we read before a few weeks ago. What does Hebrews say about our job as the remnant? What are we supposed to do? Be brave. Come on, Wendy. Okay, fantastic. So um, we are to, to seek a, a new home, a heavenly home, more so than the earthly one. Okay, that's great. It's a pretty great summary, actually. But anyone want to add anything to that? Say it again. Ooh, look forward. Okay, I like that. Look forward. Ooh, I, okay, I like that. Um, so I, I want to suggest these two passages um, have, have two really important ideas that we're going to play with tonight, okay? The first idea in Jeremiah is, you know, establish a life here, right? Be fruitful, multiply, and put down roots, and seek the welfare of the city where you are placed. So, you know, make a life for yourself here and try to do good for the community in which you find yourself, okay? Great. That's part of the job of the remnant. And then the other message is, that's sort of like, um, look to the present, right? Look to the present. The other message of the remnant is look to the future, right? Don't put down so much roots here. Don't become so obsessed with the welfare here that you forget that your ultimate goal is not a life on earth, but a life in heaven, right? That your ultimate citizenship is not a citizenship on earth, but a citizenship in heaven. Um, for the, for the um, people of Israel, this is really interesting, right? Because they're, they're literally in Babylon, but their homeland is Israel. They want to leave Babylon and get back to Israel at some point. So they're told, okay, enjoy your time while you're here. You're going to be here a while. 
but don't forget about your home. And that's kind of the same message we get. Don't forget about your home, your heavenly home. Okay, um, are, are we together? That, that kind of making sense? All right, so I want to play with those two ideas tonight uh, and talk about our responsibility to be, as, as other places in scripture say, in the world, but not of the world, right? To, to cooperate with the world and sometimes seek the welfare of, of our communities where we live, but also maintain a, enough distance to say, this is where I live, but it's not my home, right? Uh, so um, help me out a little bit. Um, where do we, and I, I mean, we like we Covenant Community Church or you individually or whatever, where do we seek the welfare of the city um, where we have been sent? What do we do to seek the welfare of Wausau, Schofield, Weston, Rothschild, Cronenwetter, Mosinee, etc.? Okay, care closet, food pantry, great. Where we can be of service. Wherever we can be of service. The most important thing is to make sure that we have jobs that people that are there can live with them and their family in a reasonable way. Okay, so our jobs are actually part of our mission and ministry, right? I love that, right? So, you know, even the fact that I work and hopefully do something meaningful with my day is part of um, my Christian cooperating in a good way um, with the world around me. That's excellent. Okay, good. Anything else? Yep. This is great. Um, I just wrote down some notes really quick. Um, so I, I, I wrote down that we partner with schools, right? So how do we partner with schools? Well, sometimes the DC Everest football team has meals in our building, right? Um, we work with uh, school counselors in the district to do the Hearts of Hope program to help children, right? We have um, the soft, we have a lot of sports teams that come and use our building actually. Um, so we do a lot of stuff with schools, right? What's that? Okay, we, we work with scouts, right? Another place where we partner. Yeah, exactly. People go into jail and either one-on-one Yes, okay. So we work in jails, right? So we actually partner with correctional facilities, right? To say, hey, you know, they want us there. We want to be there, right? So those are great things. Um, yeah, uh, we partner with uh, correctional facilities and you know, uh, 211 advertises our food pantry, right? I mean, we do all these social service kind of things. Um, and then actually what we partner with the police. How do we do that? Well, we do this anti-human trafficking thing, right? Where we actually have the police come in and talk to us what's going on. And then we talk to them about what we experience when we're out spreading the word about trafficking. And um, so we, we do all of these things. And the, maybe the most important one I didn't write down is what Mike said. You know, we, we partner with our, our places of work, wherever that is. Um, and we invest a huge amount of our life in, in the ministry of our work. Okay. And um, also, we pay taxes. Oh, we, we do. We pay taxes to support it all. Yes, we do. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, ooh, that's good. Yeah, really good. Are there other ways you can think of that we, Ruth, go ahead. I, I'm just going to say, I think we try not to um, sow division and make it like, this is you and this is us, or it is those people that need food at the pantry or those people that need a blanket, that we're a family. Mm -hmm. That's great. So we, we try to communicate something beyond, that's really important. We're gonna come back to that later more, but communicate something beyond just the service, right? So it's not just that we're giving out food, we're trying to communicate um, some, some value of their identity as a person that we're all a family. Yeah, that's great. That's great. 
Yeah, I look. think sometimes we have to be careful because we're we're walking a fine line that we're doing this and and not that we're taking credit for it, but you know, we think this is the thing that we need to do and we need to be doing something Ooh, yeah, that's great. Okay. The comment is whatever we're doing, um, sometimes there's a tendency to uh, sort of claim credit for the stuff. Look, look at what I did. Look what our church did instead of saying, hey, no, 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 that was God that did it. And I'm really happy that I got to, to serve God and, and what the amazing thing that God just did. Yeah, that's Wait, wonderful. Yeah, that's the church people. Yes, absolutely. Bringing glory to God is what we should be doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we, we were involved in, in a situation and we were told that um, you do not come in there and preach. Mm -hmm. And of course, we said there's other ways to preach you besides what we said. Like, you know, so then you look at it and you know, I'm here because I want to share God with them and I want to be doing His will. And yet we're told, you know, and so I'm not saying that you should not get into that situation because, you know, because there's still ways you can, you know, preach without actually coming out with the word. But it, uh, it makes you stop and think about, you know, is this something I want to be involved with? I'm going to be able to do what I feel for the I love it. Okay. So uh, Lois's comment, um, if you couldn't hear it, she said um, she and I think her uh, were involved in a program where they were brought into a situation. And in that situation, they were told, hey, we're glad you're here doing this program, but you really can't talk about Jesus while you're here. And a question they had to wrestle with was, should we be involved in this or not? And can we share the love of Jesus without telling the story of Jesus with words? And um, they did, but it's always a good question. You know, where is the line? We're going to spend some time about that. I love it. That's great. That's great. Wendy. Yeah, the comment, um, Wendy's comment, thank you, was that, um, you know, our goal as a congregation is to be embracing all, right? But they're in our vision statement. And we do things like we have an open table where any Christian can come and share the meal. You know, from the Presbyterian, you know, from the of our church, as long as you love Jesus, you're welcome. And yeah, I think that's great. That, that idea that part of the way we cooperate is we cooperate with other believers too, right? That, hey, this isn't just for us. This is for you too. Yeah, that's great. Um, okay, um, this is really good. Um, you guys are, are foreshadowing a lot where we're going tonight. Um, so I, I want to ask you to help me for a minute. Um, and I want to think about, so we talked about in practice, some of the ways that we as a church cooperate with the world to do ministry and mission. Um, I want to talk about in concept, not in, not in practice, but in concept. What values, what common values do we share with many outside our remnant? right? What values do we share with those who maybe aren't part of our spiritual minority of people following Jesus, but we, but, but they and we agree, hey, this is an important thing. What are some of those, those values we share? Children their parents, because of drug or alcohol, sometimes are living in a car, not having much food at all. Yeah. And now, they set up she did with the money that they had to come out of the set of people in every high school or middle school. 
Yeah, that's great. Um, so the, the um, to summarize, you know, we care for the poor, we care for the people and particularly the vulnerable people like children. Um, and so does our culture, right? And, and not always, but sometimes. And when it does, it's a great opportunity for us to partner, like with Peyton's Promise or whoever. Absolutely. And, and those, um, what's beautiful about that is, as Mike said, there are organizations that share our values around, say, caring for the vulnerable, caring for the poor. And, and those are attractive to people, right? The teenage girls that love being involved in that, and teenage boys too, because they say, hey, that's a value that I share, right? Maybe because I'm a Christian, or maybe just because our culture generally values caring for um, the vulnerable. Yeah, that's great. So anytime we're dealing with caring of the vulnerable, there's a possibility of a partnership, right, between the church and the world. Um, I, I didn't write that exactly the way you had it, but I had the exact same idea, right? That caring for the poor, um, caring for the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. Those are the three categories that get mentioned all the time in the Old Testament. Um, the vulnerable, critical for us, right? And critical for the world. That's great. What other values do we share with the world that we, we around which we might partner? Okay, so really all those physical needs, right? I mean, we people need food, people need clothing, people need shelter, people need, um, yeah, all of that stuff. That's great. What else? General freedom for freedom of speech and then all the freedom to practice the way you want to, all these kinds of stuff. Okay, fantastic. So the comment is, you know, the, the, the freedoms that we celebrate in our country, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, et cetera, um, are things that we think are really valuable as believers and also our culture thinks are valuable. And so we can come together around this. Okay, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's great. Love it. Yeah, Wendy. I think the idea that community is community. Oh, that's great. The comment is a recognition that to improve the world or the city or the community requires um, some, some coming together, that it can't be one person or even one group that's going to fix it. It's going to take a cooperation. Yeah, love it. Love it. That's great. Um, any other just, just values that come up off the top of your head? This is great stuff. Let, let me add a couple that came to my mind. Um, I, I wrote down, um, we have a desire for recognition of equality of value for all persons, right? So, um, the, the, and I've cited some scriptures about that, but you know, we want to say whether you're white or black or, or male or female, or I mean, Paul says, if you're Jew or Greek or male or female or, or slave or free, you're all one in Christ Jesus, right? Um, that we're all made as, as, as um, Moses says in Genesis, we're all made in the image of God. Um, and so that idea of saying, hey, everybody's of equal value in God's eyes is a value of the church and a value of our culture, right, around which we can cooperate. Um, uh, somebody said freedom of, of religion, freedom of choice. I, I, again, I think that's huge. I, this is an interesting one. I tried to give scriptures for all of my little um, values here. There is no scripture that values freedom of religion <laughs> because there was never a time when that was a thing, right? But, but we do, right? And I, and I think it's important for us to recognize, we'll come to this later, um, that for, for us to be able to worship Jesus without government telling us not to or how to means I have to make somebody can worship Allah. 
right, without the government telling them how to or, or, or that they have to. So even though I don't want them to worship Allah, I want them to have the choice to do it, right, so that I can have the choice to do this. Um, I wrote Pursuit of Justice, right? I think in general, um, our culture thinks justice is a good concept. Not always agreeing on what justice is, right? But we think justice is good. And certainly we as Christians believe that as well. Um, this is a really basic one, but a desire for social order, right? I mean, I just cited the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, right? Like, hey, we are, we are all over those things. And so is our culture. Um, and I have one with a question mark that I wasn't sure how to handle. Um, and I have no scripture for this one. Uh, and I wrote individual freedom. And um, yeah, I, I, just, I just leave that out there as a question mark. Maybe we'll talk about more later if we have time or maybe next week um, when we talk about our topic next week. But individual freedom is one where I think sometimes we would agree, yes, we, we, we like that idea. And sometimes it makes us nervous, right? Where is the, what, what freedoms, what should I and should I not be able to do, right? Should I um, be able to do any drugs I want to do and have them all be legal or no, right? Um, so where that, that's a little bit of a challenge, even in our culture, um, but certainly in the church. Um, okay. Uh, here's what I want to suggest. I want to suggest that often when we're thinking about cooperating with the world, cooperating with, with um, those outside the remnants, we're, we're trying to find a shared value around which we can agree. Right. Um, however, um, our, our goal isn't just to cooperate, but to cooperate without compromising. So yeah, we want to seek the welfare of the city, but we also want to remember that this city is not our home, and we are resident aliens waiting for a better home. Right. Um, so I want to think a little bit about what compromising means, and then talk about how we hold these two things in tension. Um, this is a weird example, but because we have been um, in the book of Revelation in our read through the Bible together. I was thinking about this this week. So Revelation chapter 17 and 18 has a long conversation about the whore of Babylon. Um, and basically, this is a metaphor for the empire of Rome, okay? And so we get all this really interesting language about the, um, the nation of Rome as this woman that's doing horrible things. And all the empires of the world, all the kings of the earth, are, are coming to her to, to participate in those things, right? And so we get, uh, this is in uh, chapter 18, actually, verse three. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxury. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so that you do not partake in her sins, so that you do not share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Um, so the, the message in this part of Revelation is um, that we are not to become so identified with the kingdoms of this world that we are indistinguishable from them. Uh, and we get really interesting language in Revelation about marks, right? So there's the seal on the forehead of the saints saying that they are, they're marked for God. And then there's a mark for the enemy, right? What's the mark of the bad guy? The mark of, yeah, it's 666, right? The mark of the beast. And so you, you, it's almost like you get, you get one sign or the other in Revelation. And the idea is, are you standing out? Do you look different from the culture or are you blending in, right? Are you totally assimilating into it? Um, 
And, and I think this is the, the ultimate fear of, of the compromising, right? Do I become so similar to the world around me that somebody looks at me and they can't tell that I'm a believer at all, right? So um, I just a couple of quick ideas about this. Uh, I think compromise is both intentional and subtle. Uh, so it's intentional, meaning when I choose to compromise, um, I'm not doing it completely ignorant of my choice, right? Oh, you know what? I know that um, I should honor the name of the Lord, but all of my coworkers say GD or whatever all the time. And so, boy, I want to fit in. I'm going to say that too, right? Um, it's an intentional decision. I know I'm trying to fit in and therefore I'm compromising on what I believe I'm supposed to do as a Christian. But it's also subtle, right? Um, Satan really comes to us and says, hey, let's get together and murder some of our neighbors, right? And say, let's get together and let's talk about the women that walked by as though they're objects instead of people, right? Um, or, hey, let's use this language. Or, hey, let's gossip about somebody when they turn their back. Uh, and so uh, the, the temptation to compromise is a moral choice, but it's a subtle one. Um, and if we, don't, um, if, if we don't notice, we can sort of just assimilate into it, right? We just sort of start, wake up one day and realize we look like everybody around us. Have you ever seen those pictures of the dog owners that look just like their dogs, yeah. right? It's great. There's a Liberty commercial about this where, yeah, okay, you've seen it. Um, and, and I look at those and I always wonder, did you always look like that? I mean, did you pick that dog out because they looked like you? Or is it, is it like over time, you just started kind of looking like each other, right? Um, I, I, I think we acclimate to a world around us unless we are intentional about standing out and being different, okay? Um, so I think the main way we do that is, we've said this several times already, it's just clarity, right? We have to have some clarity about our values to avoid compromise, clarity about where we can and can't compromise. And this gets back to part of what Lois was saying earlier. Um, so I wanna say, um, we don't need every partner to be a Christian, right? So what I mean by that is I can work with Peyton's Promise and we can have Peyton's Promise in the church and we can send our church kids to Peyton's Promise and we can think they're a wonderful organization and there may be a lot of Christians in it, but it is not a Christian organization, right? And that's great. So not everybody we work with has to be Christian, clearly, right? Babylon wasn't, wasn't Christian or wasn't Jewish. Um, but we do need every partnership to honor Christ. And so this is one of the big questions for me, right? Does this um, way of engaging with the world bring honor to Jesus or not? Okay. Uh, and then there's one um, other category. We have to avoid those voices that are anti-Christ. And there are not that many, but there are some that are just clearly, right? Clearly anti-Christ. Um, I used to, you know, I was doing youth ministry and we'd say, hey, you know, you can grow up and be pretty much anything you want to do in life, any career can be one that honors Christ. You want to be a pastor? Great. You want to be a teacher? Great. You want to be an accountant? Great. You want to be a, a banker? Great. You want to be whatever you want to do, that can honor Christ. Unless you want to be a drug dealer, right? That You can't honor Christ if you're a drug dealer. I'm sorry, right? That one's, that one's outside the balance, right? Um, unless you get a pharmacology degree, and then I guess it's fine. Um, so um, just briefly, um, this idea of, of, of what is Antichrist. So in, um, in 1 John, we get the, this is really where the, the language of Antichrist shows up. And as I like to remind people, there is a figure in the end times who is allied with Satan, 
Um, but the Bible doesn't call that person the Antichrist. The Bible calls that person either the man of lawlessness or the beast or whatever. But um, Antichrist is a, is a category of person, okay? So First uh, John chapter 2, verse 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Everyone who confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. Okay, so quite simply, the message is, if somebody is denying Christ, right? I'm not saying they're saying, I don't know what I believe. I'm not saying they're saying, hey, this is not a Christian organization, but you can be a Christian in it. But if they're saying, hey, we are opposed to Christ, either explicitly, because um, we're, I don't know, Hindi or something, or implicitly because we're drug dealers, um, then that's a line we can't cross, right? Clearly. I think that's a given, but I just feel like it's worth mentioning. Um, the, the more interesting question, the more challenging question is, what are the partnerships that honor Christ, right? What are those that um, perhaps are with non-believers or uh, things that aren't explicitly Christian, but can still honor Christ? And how do we make that decision? How do we look and say, boy, we should be involved in an anti-human trafficking ministry and we should work with the Walsall and Rothschild Police Departments to do that. Um, because there's risks in that, right? As, as Lois said, there's times where um, to partner with that organization, I might have to water down the gospel, right? Um, and this is a really challenging thing, I think, for the church as we try to cooperate without compromising. Um, any ideas, I'm just curious before I share mine, any ideas about how we make those decisions? Okay, well, you interrupt me as we go. I have a few ideas. Um, so uh, the, the first one, I guess the most important one is um, part of the, and we'll get to this in a minute, but part of the work of the church is to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven, right? The kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So there are some kingdom realities about the way that the kingdom of God is going to be. And if I know that partnering with you will advance those kingdom realities, then um, I feel like that might be a safe partnership for us to be in, right? So I know that in the kingdom of heaven, there will be no injustice. And that means there will be no people treated as slaves. And that means if you're being treated as a slave now, I want that to stop. And if you're gonna help me to stop that injustice, there's a pretty good chance I want to be involved, right? Because we are working on bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth together, right? Does that kind of make sense? Um, so that kingdom reality thing is pretty simple. I know in heaven, everyone's going to have enough to eat. So if you don't have enough to eat now, um, I want you to. And if, and if somebody's going to help me be involved in that, I want their help, right? Because we're, we're working on those kingdom realities. Um, uh, but, but more specifically, I think one of the challenges for the church and, and this is always, always, always difficult, is to distinguish um, between good and ultimate things or, or the means and the ends, right? And um, what do I mean by that? Uh, Jesus does all kinds of miracles, right? Um, just help me out. Name some miracles that Jesus does in the Bible. Anything. Healing the blind. What's that? Water to wine. Heals the lepers. Makes the lame to walk, right? Um, feeds the 5,000, raises some people from the dead, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, why does Jesus do all that stuff? I think there's two reasons. The first I just said, 
kingdom realities, right? In the kingdom, there are no dead people. So as the king of the kingdom walks around, he brings dead people back to life. That makes sense, right? In the kingdom, there is no sick people. So as the king of the kingdom walks around, he brings people to health because that's, that's what he does. But he doesn't bring everybody back from the dead. He doesn't heal everybody's sickness, right? He feeds the 5,000 and he feeds the 4,000 and that's it, right? And that's two days out of 365 days. You know, you got 363 more to find food. Um, so why does he do those missions, those miracles without solving the whole problem? Is that... Does what I'm asking make sense? Um, and, and I think the answer is that the purpose of those miracles is always to open people up to ultimate things, right? They are a means to an end and not an end in themselves, right? So if Jesus simply wanted to people to have physical health, he could have just snapped his fingers and made everybody on earth physically healthy, right? That wasn't his goal. His goal was spiritual health, right? So he does a miracle to... To, as a means to an end, right, so that you will listen to the message he has to say and believe he's really from God, uh, and perhaps accept a healing that's much deeper than a physical healing. Um, he raises Lazarus from the dead as a means to an end. Lazarus dies again later, right, and we, we don't get that story in the Bible, but Lazarus doesn't live forever on earth. He's going to be resurrected the last day, and then he'll live forever, along with you and me and everybody else, um, but the purpose of raising Lazarus was so he could talk to everybody around and say, do you see what I just did? I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And who believes in me will live and never die. Right? So um, I mentioned this because sometimes we as Christians can get confused about good and ultimate things. Uh, and we can forget about why we're doing what we're doing. So it is really important to, to feed the hungry. Right? because it's a kingdom reality and because it's what Jesus told us to do. But my ultimate goal is not to feed hungry people. Right? My ultimate goal is to save hungry people, right? so, to give them living bread uh, that comes from heaven. That's what Jesus calls himself. And it's really important to, to give um, water to thirsty people. And Jesus tells us to do that. Right? But my goal isn't that thirsty people wouldn't have water, but that they have living water right? that gives them eternal life, a spring welling up inside them. Uh, and so whenever we're engaged in those kingdom realities, it is always to point people from Babylon to Jerusalem, right? To say, hey, yes, have some, have some experience of Christ's love and grace. And that's a foretaste of what you can get if you give your life to Jesus and live forever with him. Does, does that kind of make sense? Re really important that we, that we recognize there are wonderful, important, godly, biblical things that are a means to the end. The end is the eternal life with Jesus Christ, right? And the fullness of the kingdom on earth where you will never die again, where you'll never get sick again, where you'll never be hungry again for forever. Um, and so everything that we do is designed to point people to that. And not that it's not good to feed people, but that we don't do that as an end unto itself. Are, are we together? Is that kind of making sense? Can I just pause there and ask questions, comments about that? This is an important idea, maybe a given one, but yeah, good. Thanks, Patrick. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay, I love it. But the comment was, okay, Jesus did all those things so people could have spiritual health. How do you know if you are spiritually healthy or if, if you're helping someone else? Fantastic. Um, so uh, again, I, I think the, the core message of the Christian faith is um, Jesus Christ 
fully human, fully God, gave his life on the cross that you could be reconciled to God from your sins, right? And so that's the that's the gospel. That's the good news that we invite people into. And, and um, spiritual health means believing and living according to the gospel, right? I, last week I said it means surrendering to Jesus, right? Saying, hey, I don't want to be in charge of my life anymore. I don't believe that I know the best. You know the best. Um, please show me what the best looks like. And so uh, to me, that's what spiritual health looks like. And the way we do that is we point people to Jesus. We say, hey, let me, let me point you to the source of spiritual health and life and joy and peace. And, and so I want to give you these winter clothes and these individually wrapped gifts and this food because I hope in so doing, um, I have the opportunity, opportunity um, maybe implicitly and maybe explicitly to point you to the source of the meaning of Christmas, right? Yeah, yeah, great question. Okay, Terry. I've always wondered at places like the food pantry, following your logic there, I would be thinking that a bunch of those people would become the church. Now, maybe they are, I don't know it, but I'm assuming that that isn't the case. So are we failing? Okay, this is a fantastic question. Just to repeat it, the question is, um, with, with that logic that, that our missions are a means to an end of pointing people to spiritual life and health, um, look at a ministry like the food pantry, where we've been for years feeding people, and is it failing if it's not resulting in the people becoming members of our church? Love it. Okay, uh, that's exactly where I want to go. Uh, but but the, the short answer for me would be, I don't know. <laughs> that's not a very satisfying answer. Um, but, but let's say this, it is failing if all they get is food. I don't know if they're getting more than food, right? Um, and, and this is, we're going to spend more time on this. It's a really, really important question. Um, I certainly don't think they have to become a member of my church. That's not the goal. It's not about, I want covenant community to grow and some other church to shrink. Um, but absolutely the goal is, I hope they're receiving the love of Jesus. Because um, if, if otherwise we could just give some money to neighbor's place, right? Hey, neighbor's place, here's a bunch of money. You're bigger than us. You do it on a bigger scale than us. Just please keep doing it. And that would be okay. Not a bad thing. I think they do great ministry. I would partner with them in a heartbeat. Right? It goes further because they buy from Feeding America. And they, the, the, they buy from Feeding America. Yeah, we actually all use the same, um, what's it called? Hunger it. Coalition. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. But, but, the, but the point is, um, it might be more economical to do that. The reason we don't do that is because we really want to connect in the hearts and minds of the people that get the food, yeah. uh, the food of Jesus Christ, right? And so that's the question, right? Are the things that we're doing ultimately resulting in spiritual life and spiritual health for people? Yeah, really huge. Wendy. Yeah, excellent point. So uh, Winnie's point, uh, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? It's this idea that, um, you know, I don't have the capacity to think about uh, spiritual decisions and philosophical questions if I'm just trying to get food for the day. And so, um, so and I, I actually agree with this. Um, so part of the reason that we meet people's immediate physical needs is they can't talk about their spiritual needs when their physical needs are like, my, my children are hungry. Right? I don't have time to say, hey, I wonder if Jesus is God or not. 
when my kids are crying because they want food. So let's give their kids the food because we love them and we want them to have food. And then that also equips them to say, hey, now that that immediate stress is off, I have more capacity to think about more higher order questions. Yeah, that's wonderful. Totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. But if I'm never helping you get to those questions, am I helping? Right. Um, okay. Um, I just said, what is our, I think I already answered this, but um, I, I want to suggest our ultimate things are, are really just mm, two or three, right? Um, our, the ultimate things for the church are we want people who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. We want people that know Jesus to know and follow him better. And we want to see the kingdom of earth, kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven, right? I mean, those, those are our ultimate things. Um, okay. Um, we're, we're coming back to your question in a minute, Terry, because it's really important. But I, I just want to point out a couple other things. Um, as we in the church are kind of clarifying our values, um, I think we have to regularly check in with the scripture and the spirit. Um, and there are times where we might say, hey, um, we've been partnering with the world in this way, and our values are beginning to diverge. Right? Let's actually stay with food for a minute. So we might say, <clears throat> hey, we've been, we've been doing a food pantry for 25 years, and we're, we're so happy we did it. It was great ministry. But in this season of our church, we're not seeing spiritual fruit from that, and we're wondering if it would be more efficient to give our, the same amount of money to the neighbor's place, continue to meet those first-order needs for people, but direct more of our volunteer energy and our other work to something else that's more spiritual. That's a really good question, right? Because it could be that over time, our, um, our goal and the goal of the ministry we're partnering with or the world's need we're trying to meet have diverged. Um, I don't think that's the case with our pantry, but it's a good question. Yeah. Um, the other piece I would just put down, um, you know, what about when the church is wrong? What happens when the church has the wrong values, right? So, I mean, uh, lots of easy examples of this, but um, how about, you know, during slavery in America, right, where half of all churches were pro-slavery or more were pro-slavery. Well, they were just wrong. They were just unbiblical and evil and wrong. Um, so uh, how do we say, hey, we got to keep ourselves in line. What are our values? Um, and this actually is the um, where I come back to sort of what, what we call the watchword of, the, of our theological tradition, right? The reform movement, the Presbyterian tradition uh, is that we are reformed and always being reformed by the word of God. What that means is um, reformed means we're through the Reformation, right? And we said, hey, um, we're going to refocus on the gospel instead of on works. Um, but, but the idea is we didn't like get the whole of it there. It's not like we achieved perfection under John Calvin and Martin Luther, and now we're just coasting. No, we are constantly in the process of saying, hey, we need to be reformed by the word of God. We need to keep going back to scripture and saying, hey, you know what? Maybe some of our values are actually the world's values and not God's values. And, and we got to go back to scripture and get corrected and pull them back in, right? So, yeah, I know I can, I can tell you that in Ephesians, it says, masters, um, love your slaves and slaves honor your masters. But actually, I, I think the rest of scripture is telling me something different. And that's not really what Paul means there. And I got to be reformed according to the word of God, right? Are, are we together? Um, so I don't want to suggest that just because we're the church, we're always right. Uh, I do want to suggest that um, we are always going back to scripture to try to be closer to who Christ wants us to be. Okay. Um, huh? Okay. Um, I, I, just, I just wanted to say this. I think this is really, um, for me, as we're talking about where we connect and partner and do ministry, this is really critical. So Paul says in Romans, 
I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith, as it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. Um, there's a lot in that scripture that's really important, but um, uh, let me just pull out two things. The, the first is um, this idea that I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, right? That, that as we go about our work in the world, figuring out where we're going to partner and where we're not, um, we, we can't be ashamed of our main idea. Our main idea is not hunger people need to be fed. Our main idea is not homeless people need homes. Our main idea is not that injustice has to be beaten with justice and police need to arrest bad guys. Um, our main idea is life comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, eternal life. You can be forgiven for your sins. Um, that, is, that is our main idea, right? Um, it may not have to be explicitly mentioned every time I do something, right? I might, like Lois and her, be able to go and tutor some kids in a school. And in tutoring them, um, show the love of God without speaking the words, right? Absolutely. Um, but I can't ever get to a point where I am embarrassed about the gospel. Boy, I don't know. I'm not sure I want to talk about Jesus with this person because that's kind of awkward. And no, that's the whole reason I'm here, right? It may not be that I'm allowed to do it in this context, right? But, but the gospel is the point. It, it can't ever be the second. It can't be the add-on, right? I'm mainly here to give food, but I guess once in a while, maybe if Jesus comes up, if somebody asks me, I'll talk about it, right? No, that's the main idea. Um, and then Paul says, it's the power of God for salvation, right? So this is why we're not embarrassed about it, because the gospel is the only way people get eternal life. Um, if uh, this was a movie, and I forgot what it's called now, there was a movie years and years ago, and I never saw it. Sean Connery was in it, and I saw the trailer a hundred times. And um, in it, Sean Connery is, I think, a doctor, and he's in the Amazon rainforest, and he has found a cure for cancer. And the line I remember him saying was, I found a cure for the plague of the 21st century and I lost it, right? And they're like trying to find the cure for cancer again. But if you had the cure for cancer, you wouldn't go up to someone and say, hey, you know what? Why don't you, here's, here's some Tylenol for your pain and you know, here's a, a meal voucher and I'll see you later. I, I'm really sorry about your cancer. Oh, you want to ask me? Well, if you ask me, I'll tell you. No, you'd be like, hey, I'm really, I, I heard you had cancer. Um, here's some Tylenol and here's a meal voucher and here's the cure for cancer, right? You don't have to take it, but here's the cure. You might want to think about it, right? So it's the power of God for salvation. It's the only thing that can cure the, the most deadly disease of all, which is sin. Let's not be ashamed of it. Okay, um, so uh, cheapers. Okay, um, I got two things left I want to do, and I'm gonna I'm gonna fit them in, and it's gonna be glorious. Um, I want to I want to tell a story you've heard from me before about the experience of being in the minority and why it matters, and then I want to talk a little bit about uh, four places that we as a community or I personally or whatever have tried to to walk this line of cooperating without conflict. Um, I think one of the challenges for the spiritual remnant. Um, when you're a spiritual minority, is a recognition that whatever you do reflects on your group, right? And, and if you've been a minority, you get that, right? If you're, um, yeah, my former city had a lot, a uh, large Jewish community, but they were certainly the minority. Um, and, and my Jewish friends sort of knew, they didn't want to walk around being a Jewish poster boy, but everybody was like, okay, you know, Jason, tell us what the Jews think about this. And it was like, they have to represent all Jews, right? 
Um, if you're an African-American person in Wausau and you're walking around, you probably feel like you have to represent all African-American people. Now, uh, I have a buddy who always jokes that when he meets a, a white person for the first time, they always tell him about their black friends. He's like, I don't care. I don't care about your black friends. I know you know the black people. Um, uh, and I've shared with you before, I, I never really got a sense of what this was like until um, I think my junior or senior year of college, I was in a class called Christianity and Feminism. And it was 50 people, two professors, there was a, it was cross-listed, it was an undergraduate women's studies class and a, and a graduate level seminary class. So you had a non-Christian women's studies professor um, and a Christian divinity school professor co-teaching this class, really interesting. There were 50 students, this huge class, and um, I can't remember, but most of them uh, were undergrads, but it was, it was maybe half and half, I don't know, it was pretty close. Um, of the 50 students, there was one other guy and me. So two female teachers, um, 48 female students, me and one other guy. And, and it's a class on feminism, right? Every time they wanted to know what men think, they looked at us. I was the only undergraduate guy. He was the only graduate guy. And they said, hey, what do men think about this? And I was like, what do men? There's like 3.5 billion of us. I have no idea what men think, right? Um, but it made me realize, boy, everywhere I go in this class, I represent all men. When you're in the minority, you start thinking that way. And so this is part of the challenge for the church. Wherever we go, we represent Christ. Whatever, whatever we do, um, the world sees us and thinks, oh, that's what Christians think. And the, um, when, when Christianity is dominant, everybody's like, okay, we know what Christians think. But when it's in the minority, wherever you do, whatever you, wherever you go, people think, oh, that's what Christians think. Of you. There's this huge responsibility on us, right, that, that what we do correctly reflects what Christ thinks. Um, so, um, with that said, uh, I want to talk about how we try to navigate this line, recognizing the incredible responsibility we have to reveal who Christ is to the world. Uh, so, here, here's, here's some examples, um, and this gets to Terry's point a little bit. Um, uh, our, our Hearts of Hope ministry is just, everybody knows about it, so I don't need to explain it, but it's this wonderful ministry we do. Um, we help hundreds of children uh, and is an awesome partnership with our schools and it blesses families, it blesses the guidance counselors. It's just great. One of the things that we've thought about a lot in, in our Hearts of Hope leadership team over the last number of years is how do we um, more and more point people to Jesus with that ministry, recognizing that we're partnering with the school district and they understandably, since they're not a Christian organization, have some regulations around what we can and can't say and do, right? So like what you guys did, we are not allowed to meet with families and say, hey, do you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? If not, can I please talk to you about that? I'd love to have you come to know Christ. Um, that can't be a requirement for services, right? So um, we have really prayed and thought about how we can point people to Jesus more while still respecting some of those guidelines and boundaries. One of the things that we did in the last two years, I think, um, was that we started praying, offering, not praying, offering prayer uh, with people when they came in to get their clothes, and offering, not requiring, but offering a prayer partnership that lasts throughout the year, right? So, um, you know, when his family comes in and we say, hey, we're so glad you're here, before we go over um, all of your forms, um, would you like us to pray for you? Is there anything we can be praying for you about? You can say, no, I'm good. Fine, that's great. We're gonna say, yes, I'd really like to pray about blah, 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 blah. Great, we wanna pray for you right now. 
And we pray for him right there in the room. And then at the end of that conversation, we say, hey, and then we've got all your stuff worked out. And it's clear that we have the right sizes for your kids' clothes and whatnot um, to make sure it's, it's not a tit for tat sort of thing. We've given you everything first. And then um, would you like to have somebody who contacts you and prays for you once a month? Because um, if it's something you want, we'd love to do that. Um, and that's been our attempt to say, hey, how do we make sure we, we more explicitly point people to Jesus while also maintaining this partnership that we really value with our schools? Um, not saying it's perfect, but you see how we're trying to navigate the, the line. Many people take you up on that? Yes. So the question is, do many people take us up on that? Yes, not everybody. And I don't, I don't think it's the, I mean, I know the prayer partnership is not the majority. Um, the prayer partnership is a minority. So of the whatever it is, 120 families, you know, we're probably talking 30 to 40 um, that say yes to that. Uh, it's more than 30 to 40 that say yes to the offer. Can I pray for you? Or do you have any need for prayer? Um, but that's great, right? Um, our, our idea is even if you say no, you know where we're coming from, right? You know that, that we think, you know, there's more to this than just clothes and food and gifts. I'm not saying we have that right, by the way. And we have had conversations before about, hey, should we ever like not have the school connection and get kids some other way to be more explicit about Jesus? And right now we just love our schools so much we think we want to keep that partnership going. But it's a question. Right? Um, so uh, another example. Um, oh yeah, um, interfaith events are a real challenge. And um, I often think, you know, how do we do this well? So. Um, I, and, and, and let me clarify, by interfaith, I mean Christians and non-Christians. I don't mean Christ, I don't mean Baptists and Presbyterians. That's not interfaith, right? We're all the same faith. Um, uh, I have had um, opportunities in the past to say, hey, let's do a worship service with the Muslims and the Jews and the Christians all together. And I usually say, for me, I say no, right? Because we're not worshiping the same person. So I don't know how to do that with integrity. I don't know how to come together and say, hey, we're all worshiping together, but we're talking to different people. Um, but I think there are times um, that aren't about worship where I really want to support um, people of other faiths. So for example, um, in October of 2018, there was a shooting in the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. And I think 11 people were killed and six more were wounded. It was the worst anti-Semitic um, violence in our country, I think, in living memory, maybe ever. Uh, and Mount Sinai Synagogue in Wausau had a candlelight vigil uh, the next day. And we sent an email out to our church and said, hey, this isn't a worship service, an opportunity to come and, and show solidarity with our Jewish friends and say, that should never happen. And my family went, right? And we thought it was important for us to be there to say, this is wrong. And we don't want anyone to ever think that in our community that would be acceptable. And so we showed up, right? Not to worship, um, but to say, hey, we love and care for you. So that's me um, trying to navigate um, that idea of, of, of coordinating without compromising. Um, okay. Uh, oh, gosh. Okay. Um, briefly, uh, I, I thought about military service. Um, military service is an interesting one. Um, uh, I came from a Navy town where, like, everybody was in the military. It was like half the church. And um, the challenge of military service. Um, for the Christian, as I think of it, is um, you have competing allegiances, right? So I, I have a, a, a pledge of allegiance to the nation and then a higher pledge of allegiance to Christ. So um, 
what do I do when those come in conflict? And um, I, I recognize in our country, we haven't had those um, maybe as dramatic moments. Um, imagine if you're serving uh, as a Christian in the army of Germany in circa 1940, right? And you say, hey, um, yeah, I have an allegiance to my country, but I also have allegiance to God. And what my country is doing is clearly opposed to the will of God. It is anti-Christ. Um, what do I do? And I think this is the challenge for any Christian in the military, right? On some level, I think it's great for Christians to be in the military, but I think they have to say, hey, is this a conflict um, where I can go or not? Because if, if America ever gets involved in a war uh, in the way that Germany was involved in a war in World War II, then I would think Christians in the military would say, I can't go, right? I'm not going to do that. Uh, reminds me of Desmond Dawes, right? Desmond Dawes was the conscientious objector um, who, um, wonderful movie, Hacksaw Ridge, which is mostly true. I mean, it's a movie, but mostly true. Um, the, the story of Desmond Dawes was he enlisted. He wanted to be a medic. He, he, he chose to serve, right? He could have gotten out of service. He chose to serve. Um, but he chose to serve as a conscientious objector because as a Seventh-day Adventist, he didn't believe in any kind of violence. Um, and uh, that movie, at least, which partly accurately reflects his life, does a wonderful story of, of showing how he holds those two allegiances in tension. Right? I, I love my country. I want to serve my country. I think this is a just war, um, but I will not hurt people. Um, but I will risk my life for people. Right? Um, and I think that's a challenge right? that Christians have to work with. Uh, and one really easy one that I won't give much time to, um, uh, entertainment, right? Um, what's the value of me watching a football game? Um, right? I mean, you know, Bob says not much. Um, what's the value of me watching a movie? Right? And because and, you know I love my movies, right? Uh, and, and, and I, what's the value of the commercials um, during the game? Right? And, and, and how do I work that out? There are times where I deserve to relax. Right? There's times where entertainment is healthy and good. By the way, there's also a lot of values in sports that we can say are kingdom values, right? Hard work and exercise and self-discipline and teamwork and camaraderie and selflessness are really good things. Um, so where's that line where I say, hey, you know what? It's, these are things I can affirm. There are a lot of movies that have Christian values that I love that aren't even Christian movies. Right? There's also a point where entertainment becomes a drug that I feed myself with, right? I obsess with it so I can avoid the real world. Um, so as a Christian, I'm, I'm trying to navigate that line of saying, hey, you know what, I can, I can cooperate with the world. I think it's fine to watch a football game. Um, but if, if my life is consumed with that to the detriment of my other relationships, for example, I got a problem, right? Um, or if I'm watching a football game and the halftime show is objectifying women, um, maybe I'm going to not watch the halftime show. Right? So um, the, the challenge, I think, for the church is none of this is clear. It's not like, oh, here's the rule you have to follow. Um, the challenge is we have to navigate um, how to coordinate or how to cooperate um, without compromising so that we can honor um, both the responsibility to work for the welfare of the cities where we live and also the recognition that this is not our home. Okay, um, I went a little long, I'm sorry, but I want to pause just questions, comments, thoughts about that um, idea or um, any of the stuff that we discussed tonight. You first gave us scriptures and decided Jeremiah 
because when I looked up the verses in that Hebrew, it brought me to Jeremiah 11 uh -huh. instead of Hebrew. Yeah. But I think this is a pretty good example of a black and white, cut and dry separation. Yes. That weird. And it says, uh, You Judah have many gods that you have challenged, and the altars you have set up to burn incense to that shameful god Baal in his name. Do not pray for this people or offer any prayer petition because I will not listen when they call me in their time of distress. Right. Just don't associate with that. Mm -hmm. Set yourself apart and stay firm to what you know is correct. Yeah. The comment is uh, uh, Bob accidentally read Jeremiah 29, 13 through 16. And part of that is an instruction to not associate with um, the Baals and the other religions of their time. And um, yeah, I absolutely agree that, that part of our job is to say, hey, if that is truly antichrist, right? if that is truly of, um, of, a, of something that pushes me from Jesus, then I don't need anything to do with it. Um, and I don't want to get close. Right? I, I don't want to dip my toe in the water and step back. I want to find the line and then stand as far back from that line as possible. Um, so, yeah, th there are a lot of things in our world right, that um, explicitly express, express values that are in opposition to the kingdom of God, in which case I can't be involved in that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, I'll be around to talk, but let me um, let me do this real quick. Next week, um, we're going to talk about kind of the opposite. So we're going to talk about um, not where we um, coordinate without compromise, but where we stand up and stand out um, in our culture as the remnant. So I'm excited about that. Let me uh, close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be the, the Christ that people meet. It is an enormous responsibility uh, for the world to look at us and assume that by looking at us, they know what Christians are like. Um, but we are honored to carry that responsibility. And we pray that you would help us uh, to continuously seek clarity uh, and, and value ultimate things over good things and be reformed according to the word of God so that we can cooperate without compromise, partner with this world to bring kingdom realities here and show them uh, through those partnerships the spiritual love and grace and hope and peace that comes only through Christ our Lord. It's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.